0: Hello, and welcome to Building Brand You, the show where we help you to accelerate your success, getting you more clients, more revenue, more business, and more opportunities by unlocking your greatest asset, you. My name is Kim Hayner. I'm an international business coach, a recognized global expert on leadership and visibility, and I designed this podcast for you. To help you unlock what you already have, and to give you a whole host of tools and techniques that you can implement in order to accelerate your success and build your own Brand you. We also publish exclusive material, offers, and behind-the-scenes content in our Building Brand You Facebook group. And if you'd like to find out more about our Building Brand New Coaching programs, you can book a free 20-minute call with me where we'll explore where you are and whether Building Brand New Coaching is the right fit for you. You'll find both of those links, as well as many others, in the show notes. So let's unlock this episode and lift the lid on what's next in Building Brand View. Hello, everyone. And welcome to this feature-length episode of Building Brand You. Today, I am delighted to welcome our special guest, Rachel Maunder. An experienced facilitator, trainer and coach, one of the first observations Rachel made about successful speakers was that they all seemed to have a powerful story to share. Held back by her own belief that she didn't have a story to share, she set out to find her own way of bringing stories to her speaking. Rachel's own speaking career began in the juvenile courtroom, later moving on to creating and delivering training programs, including presentation skills. She now trains and coaches other speakers, focusing with them to find and craft their stories for greater engagement and ultimately, more business. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Rachel Maunder. Hello, Rachel. How are you? Thanks for joining us on Building Brand You
1: today. You're welcome, Kim. It's great to see you. I'm very well indeed. Thank you.
0: Excellent. I'm looking forward to a fantastic conversation. Uh, Listeners, Rachel and I uh, know each other uh, through the Professional Speaking Association here in the UK, and we're both on uh, on the committee for london with uh, rachel being our erstwhile regional president for the year and me trying to do my best on social media so um it's been uh a long time we've kind of known each other but a short time we've gotten to know each other i think is probably yeah no that's absolutely right
1: thinking. it yeah. is yeah, yeah yeah and you're doing a great job of the social media I'm oh thank you thank you
0: it. thank you <laughs> my pleasure <laughs> uh so uh, Rachel, what I like to do first is pass the mic over to you. And interestingly, you're a story coach. So mm-hmm. what we'd like to hear is who is Rachel Wander? What's Rachel Wander's
1: story? Well, there, that's an interesting thing, Kim. So, yes, I'm a story coach, which means that I work with business professionals to help them find their stories, first of all, um, and then to craft those stories into talks and presentations. Uh, the back story to that is that when I first stepped up and was doing a lot more professional speaking, I joined the Professional Speaking Association uh, and was getting good feedback on my content, my delivery and all of that. But there would be always this same line of feedback. But we want to hear your story. We want to know a bit more about you. And I would be, well, but I don't have a story because One of the things, as you know, Kim, in the PSA, we hear some amazing stories, often uplifting, often a bit harrowing to start with, or just awesome. You know, they're what I call the mountain climbing, ocean rowing stories. But we also have the stories of where people have come through massive adversity. And none of those are the sort of thing you can make up. But also what then that used to do for me was to diminish for me the value of my own stories and I suppose there was enough of this thing going on of people saying to me but you do have a story everybody has a story you just have to find it and I think I was over overcooking the, the pudding if you like in that I was looking back in my life and thinking well maybe this is it maybe this is what I'm put on this earth to speak about. And I have two or three things that I could, I sort of picked on and thought, you know, maybe this must be it, this must be the thing in my life. But it wasn't quite resonating um, because it didn't feel something I wanted to talk about particularly. And then it was like one of those almost overnight things. I woke up as if to suddenly realise that of course I have a story. I have my story of how I come to be doing what I'm doing. um, And that is valuable in itself. I have umpteen stories of why I do what I do. But of course, what I do have and what everybody has is this whole wealth of what I call ordinary everyday stories. Now, they're not the kind of stories that people will tell you, you have to follow the hero's journey and all that kind of thing. They're often anecdotal, funny little stories But they do show a bit about your personality, your style, your life. And that's what story is all about. It's all about, as a professional, um, part of your brand. Who are you? Who is the person behind the business persona? That's kind of how I came to be doing what I'm doing. But you asked me who is Rachel Maunder. So I am mother of two adults in their 20s now. I'm now single. I live in Petersfield in Hampshire, friends to many. Um, I'm I'm i take my auntie role very seriously. I have lovely relationships with my three nieces and and their six children between them. Um, I love to sing in rock choir. That's a great energizer for me. I've been a member of rock choir for 12 years Um, and I just like being out and about with people. Um, I play sport. I play tennis and squash. That's really important to me. Um, I love to be by the sea. Uh, so I spend a lot of time down at the coast. And yeah, just love to do all those things. I love to come into London. That's always energising for me. Theatre, cinema, whatever's going on. Post lockdown, walking has become a much bigger part of my life. It's always been a part of my life, but I think I've, it's become a bigger part um, because for a while it was all we could do in terms of social life. So yeah, so it's a little bit about who I am. Lovely. sounds like you've got lots of different strands in life to yes. to
0: keep things interesting. and I don't really want to use the word balance, but but I think there is something about um, bringing in different things that fulfill you and bring you joy. and I'm a big advocate for that. Yes, so. I
1: think that's right. and some of them are very random, um, and some of them, yeah, they are what they are. and but it's interesting you use the word balance because I think that is something that I do have in my life is a lot of balance. Um, And I have a very balanced view on life. Um, Years ago now, I I was a magistrate for four years. um, And somebody once reflected back to me that the training I had as a magistrate must have made me a very balanced person. And I said, well, actually, I think, yes, it would have helped. But the reason I became a magistrate was because I knew that I would always listen to both sides of a story um and sometimes to the annoyance of other people because somebody might be having a little rant and rave to me about some injustice they've experienced and I go but let's see how let's look at it from the other point of view and they might not want to um and I just can't help it I can always look at the other side of the story um yeah yeah Yeah. this is one of those is a real theme for me
0: oh brilliant well so what You've talked about uh, joining uh, the Professional Speaking Association with the aspiration of, of doing more of that. Is that something you've always done? Have you always sort of had your own business or, you know, you've just mentioned um, being a magistrate for four mm-hmm. years? You know, was there something you did before that you transitioned into and it's allowed you to create the life you have now or is it has it always been there?
1: No, it hasn't. Well, speaking has always been part of my career path and it's a, i think it's a very eclectic career path post uni i worked as a as air crew for three years um, yeah. freddie laker you you probably don't remember him kim but some some of the listeners will um, and i finished that when he went bust um, and that i'm going to say was 1981 1982 something like that um, so then i worked on a project for juvenile offenders Uh, I worked for the London Borough of Sutton, and we worked on quite an innovative project uh, uh, at at that time, where the idea was to work with juvenile offenders and keep them out of the custodial system. um, On the basis that if you can manage young people away from the custodial system, they are much more likely by the time they're 17, because it's predominantly boys, but not always, they're much more likely by then to have in those days, got a job. I know that's not so easy at the moment, possibly got a girlfriend and the crime goes behind them. Whereas if at 13 or 14, they are sent to a a youth custody provision, they are much more likely to become more criminalized. So that was kind of the thought behind it. That took me into the juvenile court and that's where my speaking in public started, Um, albeit in a very small formulaic way. But my next role and the role after that took me to a different um, London borough in a different role. And the third role, I was in the legal department, actually doing the advocacy for some of the childcare cases. And I absolutely loved it. What happened after that was I then went off to live in Thailand. Um, but had I not gone to Thailand, I was I was I had a place on a course to become a barrister to start doing that journey because I loved the advocacy so much. Um, but you know, by the time I came back from Thailand nine years later with two young children, it was a past idea. I did, yeah, I did consider it at that time because nothing's impossible, but decided it wasn't where I wanted to be. Um, yeah, point so, so yeah, Yeah. that was the speaking on the back of that. Then also did some training work, absolutely loved that. And if I'd known how to do it, I would have become a professional trainer at that point, but I had no idea that it was even a thing that you could do. And then 2010, I took out a franchise with the Athena Network, so running networking group. So again, that kind of speaking facilitation, that's where it started to come to the fore a bit more, because I realized, you know, having immersed myself then in the world of small business owners, entrepreneurs, that actually I was more confident and more able in the in the world of, of speaking, professional speaking. Um, and that was the point at which I decided to you know, make it more, make it a bigger part of my, of my business, as it were. Um, mm. It's also the part time that I started training in presentation skills because the Athena network um, meeting is such that you have a 10-minute presentation from one of the members but many of them were very reluctant to put themselves forward to do it because they were terrified of, of giving a 10-minute presentation. So I started training in how to do it, how, how to create a 10-minute presentation and deliver it. So um, it was as simple as that.
0: Yeah. It, it, sometimes when these things happen on our journey, as you said at the start, it's quite an eclectic
1: yeah. journey. And yeah, yeah.
0: I've learned some <laughs> things about you in, the, in this first 10 minutes of our conversation, <laughs> Rachel. But, you know, you talked about um, balance Uh, you know that you have a balanced view and you listen to both sides of the story and it's really interesting how that comes out when you talk about the thread of where Mm -hmm. you've been um, from a career point of view and and I think my experience of you in um, in the Professional Speaking Association just on the committee and things like that is is very much like that and all of a sudden I went uh-huh. Aha! <laughs> That's her story. Yes. The, That's dots
1: her story. the dots are yeah. joining. The dots are joining.
0: The dots <laughs> are joining, and then that—I guess—that um, the opening with the Athena Network, seeing how you know how people are so unwilling to put themselves forward and step into the spotlight, uh, and saying, "Okay, so." what can I do to empower people? What Mm. are the, you know, you did it in childcare advocacy, you were doing it with juvenile offenders, you know, there's something, it feels like there's something in you that says, how do I empower people to stop being afraid and to step forward and own
1: who they are? Yes, no, no, that's absolutely right. And you've just reminded me of something else that I did during the time I was living in Thailand. After I'd had my two children, I was therefore in the world of expat wives Um, I was the only one in my circle that was working at all I was I was working as a part-time as a counsellor at that point and I started to run a few little um, courses really for other aimed expat wives because we all had the time we all had the childcare to do it um, and they would be basically on different aspects of assertiveness I suppose there was one on how to learning to say no um, and that kind of thing. And on the back of that, I got asked to write a weekly feature in the Bangkok Post, which was the English-language newspaper in Thailand. And it, it was amazing the number of people. My 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 now ex-husband was in the construction industry, so a lot of people that we knew in Thailand were in that. And the least likely people to have liked my article would say, yeah, I really like your article every week. I look out for it. And it's like, really? but. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> we all have a moment of that, don't yeah. we, as we're growing and we try new things? And someone says, Oh, like I follow it religiously. And you go, Really? Yeah. In, fr- <laughs> in front of them, don't you? You know, and it, owning that.
1: Even those pieces, um, and we're always getting people to just think about just take a step back and, and see something in a slightly different way, look mm. at a different angle. And even now I send out a weekly tip to people on my email list on a Monday morning, never more than 150 words. And it's the same. It's always, you know, maybe you could think about it this way, maybe, you know, get yourself sunny side up. Cause that's something I find that I can usually stay sunny side up. I can usually find a way of doing that. And I, I just want to encourage and help other people to do that. Yeah. Um, because sometimes we can get stuck in that negative way of thinking. And actually, if you just saw it from a slightly different angle, you'd feel better about it. Um, yeah. And, and, and that- I think there's that there becomes an opening too, yes. doesn't it? Yes. Um,
0: just from seeing something from another point of view, mm. uh, you know, because you're right, we get so stuck in our own frame, if you like, of how we mm. see things and how, mm. and we, we start to, behave like that's how things are yes and actually all that is is a current story we have about what's going on rather Absolutely. than thinking mm-hmm. about if someone else you know was looking at the same thing what would be their story we all frame things differently in understanding that we all receive and process and and communicate things in really different ways
1: yeah we absolutely do and you know you and I Kim could go we well we're going to the same meeting this coming Saturday yeah might be in the same conversation somebody might say something I might find it hilariously funny or and you not or vice versa yeah. or I you might find it hurtful and I don't see it that way but yeah because we bring to it all our backstory and our conditioning and all of that stuff don't we yeah yeah um, Absolutely.
0: And spe- so speaking of stories and framing, mm-hmm. uh, you uh, have launched uh, a podcast recently. And one of the things we're doing over uh, season four is uh, talking about various uh, jobs that people want to do through through their businesses or, or the activities they do. And when we initially talked about um, you being a guest on the podcast, I remember this conversation with you where you said... I I want this podcast to be my legacy. And that just really struck me how how clear you were about what you wanted the podcast to stand for. So let's talk a little bit about how you got into wanting to do a podcast. Why was the legacy so important to you? and, And just tell us a bit about how it's gone so far.
1: The idea of the podcast, I guess it's one of those things, isn't it, that in the world of solo entrepreneurs speaking and all of that there are seemingly many podcasts um and certainly more and more people saying oh you know I'm launching a podcast but if you look at the statistics compared to books and other things actually there is still a relatively small number of podcasts out there so it was always something I'd shied away from tech is doesn't come easily to me shall we say Um, and it all just seemed too big and too complicated. But I was aware that I was a speaker. I was aware I liked talking to people and I have a fascination for people's stories, of course. Uh, so what I did do was something that I was invited to do for somebody else in the way that I'm on your podcast, where he was interviewing people and he was streaming it live onto his Facebook page and also putting it on his YouTube channel. And I thought, I can do that. I can manage that. So I started doing a series of um, those recordings and they were called Story Lives. And I was talking to all sorts of different people about how they came to be doing what they were doing. And that was fine. I enjoyed it. In truth, the watching numbers wasn't that high. And something just told me that actually I needed a little bit more of a hook of interest that um, I needed, yeah, just to niche down a little bit more. And three, two or three things happened, or that was one of three things that happened to sort of give me the idea for the, the Other Stories podcast, which is the one I launched, um, because the intention was to, at a later stage, turn those episodes into a podcast. That was the idea, which has not happened. So I then read a book called Why I've Stopped Talking to White People About Race. Mm -hmm. Um, and what I took away from that book or one of the things I took away was that we as white privileged middle class people need to educate ourselves about what it's like to be um, non-white however people like to describe themselves in that way but also for me it goes much further than that what it's like I've always had this fascination to know what it's like I mean, I can remember years ago now, when I was about 12 years old, being really upset because I suddenly had to wear glasses. It was discovered I was short sighted. And my mum saying to me, but I, I thought you always wanted to wear glasses. <laughs> no, I just wanted to know what it was like to have to wear them, which is not quite the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> be careful what you wish for. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So there's always been that fascination to know what what would it be like to be the only black person to walk in a room? What would it be like to live life in a wheelchair? All those sorts of things. So that was at the back of my mind that it was up to me to educate myself. And of course, the way I like to find out is to talk to people and ask them. Um, I'm not going to go off and read a load of books on that. I'm, I'm, I'm really not. And then one of my story live interviews was with a lady who. She, um, she is from Pakistan, so, but we didn't actually touch on that particularly in the interview, but she's also um, an introvert. And we had this really hilarious conversation about the differences um, be, as being in the audience as an extrovert or an introvert, because I'm an extrovert. So when the speaker says, raise your hand, mine is up. Um, call out your answer. I'll call out. Whereas she would be much more reticent, and so on. So, and it was somehow during that conversation that those three things came together. I thought, this is what my podcast can be. It can be conversations with people who are in some way other from the rest of us. Um, and so that that's that gave me the idea. So, I then had to set about learning how to do it, how to do the tech. And I also knew that I wanted seven or eight episodes ready before I launched. So my original intention was to launch last October, November. But I was more attached to being ready um, with those eight episodes than I was to the date. So I think it was something like the end, the last Wednesday of January I finally launched. So um, so, yeah, so I'm really enjoying it. Um, I would love to hear from any listeners who feel they have a story that might fit the categories um so far i've spoken to the lady i talked about who is an introvert i've interviewed somebody who lives with ms somebody else with chronic fatigue somebody with uh, autism and adhd anything that makes you feel a little bit other the idea is partly to let listeners understand um what it's like but also for us to sort of think oh actually I can do that if, if, if it makes it easier for you if I do this uh, or if it's that actually that's a really crass question for me to ask you or comment to make then I'll now hold back from making that crass comment because I'm I would have said it with the best intention but perhaps you know the typical one um and i know i don't do this anymore but i've probably been guilty of it in the past if somebody's telling me they've been diagnosed with breast cancer i was probably that cheery soul that we go oh but most people recover from that don't they yes they do but if you've just been told you've got it you don't know whether you're going to be in the 20 percent or the 80 and so to have somebody sort of say oh but most people recover is not perhaps what you want to hear at that time and it's just now that you know now i know that then it's easy enough for me not to say it. So it's things like that, that um, just make us more inclusive, knowing how to behave. A lot of people, I remember years ago, working with somebody in my team, and she had time off for work for cancer treatment. And she said, even people that were her good friends would cross the road rather than stop and speak to her Mm. um, because they didn't know what to say. Mm. so it, it's that sort of thing and I think mm. things where people don't know what to say mm. and somebody actually has given me feedback of, of, of they, they're really enjoying the podcast and she said I love it because she said you get to ask all those questions that we would all love to ask but don't know if it's okay to and mm. it not be in the situation where they're meeting my guests because that's why they're coming on the podcast um, yes yeah. I Know I'm going to ask them and you know, it's fine. So, so yeah, so that that's what the podcast is all about and how it came to be. Oh, brilliant. I love,
0: uh, you know, that, that sense of helping us to be with otherness, Mm -hmm. you you know, that you're right when, when things are different or uncomfortable or awkward, we get tongue-tied, we Sometimes blurt out things that are not quite what? right to say. Sometimes we stay silent because we're going to go. I don't know what to say. And there's something about not. There's the knowing, perhaps, what to say. Or, but, but I think even more, it's trusting yourself to listen yes. and find your way in the conversation with that person. Um, yeah. And it's a. It's a bit like. Um, you know, what do you want? And I think that's the key, isn't it? Yes. Being brave yes. enough to ask. Yes. What, what do you want to be called? Yes. Um, what what empowers you? What, you know, how,
1: who do you stand for in the conversation?
0: Is that something that's come up a lot on the podcast? Today? Yes. I, if,
1: if there was a theme across the episode so far, it's all about breaking down assumptions, challenging assumptions that we make. Mm. Mm. So, yes, it has come up. Uh, yeah. And, and, and like you say, it is about listening, because just using colour, for example, some people like to be called a person of colour. Some people like to be black. Some people like to be brown. So it's tricky to get it right. Um, yes, we could use non-white, but actually as a white person, I think, well, why should we assume that white is the default setting? It, 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 but it is about asking. And I do remember once asking somebody who was in a wheelchair saying, Look, I don't want to be patronising, but is it helpful if I get you a coffee? um and and he said actually yes brilliant because i can't do it myself so that was fine because again some people don't want that they they are independent and they can perfectly well get their own coffee but equally you wouldn't want somebody who can't to be sitting there in the corner without one because nobody thought to ask so it's just trying to frame it in that way i think Mm, mm. there's
0: this sense i think sometimes of i want to be helpful I don't mm-hmm. want to assume and come across as patronising. Yes. But sometimes that's the vulnerability we need to sit in, that, yes. that we are concerned about coming across as patronising and scared that we'll get maybe rebuffed or our head bitten off or snapped at or something like that, but that that's okay.
1: Mm-hmm. You know,
0: we'll live if that happens. Yes. But, but to step back and never to step forward because we're afraid of those things, I mean, no-one yes. wants to cause offence. But but, you know, we don't get to know each other without, you know, you don't make an omelette without breaking a few eggs. You know, sometimes you've just got to
1: build the bridge and Mm. and see if you can cross it. Yeah. Absolutely. And and as you say, we still make mistakes. I mean, I know that I would I would ideally choose never to well open a you know presentation or anything with ladies and gentlemen because I might have some. Um, people who choose to identify differently than that in the audience. And mostly I don't do that, but just every so often I catch myself doing it because it's kind of what we've done for years and what we've not only done, but heard for years. So every so often it, it comes out. And I think, damn, I shouldn't have said that. Yeah. <laughs> but You know, it's that as well. But uh, yeah. And, and it all ties in with, I can remember as a teenager, sort of sort of late teenager, 17, 18, having some fearful arguments with my dad and one particular friend of his. And it was around the time um, where it was becoming legal for homosexuality. And I remember I had this one particular, and I don't think I knew anybody that was presenting as, as homosexual, but it was just that sense of justice in me. And I remember my dad's friend saying, oh, they shouldn't be allowed to be teachers. And I was saying, why not? What difference does it make? And the idea was oh, that he said, oh, well, they'll be, you know, trying to persuade the children to become... Oh, I thought, oh, no, they won't. <laughs> it's <was> a ridiculous <laughs> argument, but I can remember being so furious about it. Um, as I say, even uh, apropos of nothing, it wasn't that I had friends that were or had any cons- thoughts for, for myself about that. It was just it didn't seem unfair or just to mm. be penalising somebody for being brave enough to show their difference as it were so. Mm, mm.
0: so in um how many episodes are you in to the podcast so far I think,
1: I think today is episode nine it's episode nine. Oh, yes I eight up. or nine something <laughs> like that because I the why I'm not sure is that I released two or three episodes on the first day ah and so yeah I've kind of therefore yeah. day is not week nine
0: yeah Okay. Uh, so out of those those nine so far, um, mm. what have been some of the biggest assumptions that
1: that have emerged that you've gone, oh, oh wow, you know? Yes, that's a
0: that's good aha moment, that
1: one. I guess, I mean, today's um, episode is with Sobia Jawade, who is a hijab-wearing Muslim woman. Um, she's born and brought up in the UK and was her mother is not a hijab-wearing person. It was a decision she made herself in her teens, mid mid to late teens. And this is my own assumption. When I first um, met Sobia, again through the PSA, I was really surprised that as a um, hijab-wearing Muslim woman, she does kickboxing. Um, And that that was my own assumption, that that wouldn't be something that a hijab-wearing Muslim woman would do. Um, So that was great learning for me because we're all always learning aren't we I don't know why I would have made that assumption but what I did yes and there are a lot of assumptions I mean they all talk about assumptions yeah I mean I'm just thinking that somebody who's you know very little hearing assumptions are made about her being daft certainly when she was younger that she was stupid as well um, and I know that although I haven't interviewed this particular person, I know someone who is partially cited. And I know that was part of her story when she was at school, that it was assumed that she was um, not capable of achieving academic results. Mm-hmm. Uh, but She couldn't see. And it's like, where does that come from? That's mm-hmm. not logical.
0: Yeah, it doesn't fit the mould of success that exactly. society has built.
1: Yes, and interesting you say that, because actually, again, one of the episodes is with somebody who has a condition affecting one of her eyes so that her one of her eyes doesn't face forward. And that was what she felt when she was at school. She, she felt she didn't fit the model of su- of a successful student, which actually she was. Mm. And her perception was that when it was her turn to go up for her prize at speech day, that the clapping quietened because she oh. was attractive, long-haired, you Popular. know. Yes, exactly. All of that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 exactly all yeah. of that. Yeah. So that assumption of what, what people can achieve because of, you know, because of their difference. Mm. Mm.
0: I, th- I think often the biggest... Um, the surprises are the ones where we catch ourselves out. I mean, you yes. mentioned yeah. um, the, 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 the sort of the moment with Serbia is sort of going, oh, I, I had this story I didn't even know was in my yes. head about yes. that that's not something she would do. Mm-hmm. And then when you actually examine the story and you kind of go, well, I don't know where that came from, but, you know, our, our brain is an amazing thing, isn't it? I'm not a neuroscientist, mm-hmm. but, you know, it just absorbs stuff from everywhere it absorbs stories from everywhere and then it does something in there and makes sense of them all it thinks um, yeah. and tries to give us a precede version to help us survive in life and not getting my lions, you know so it, i think it's really fascinating that the thing you came to first was actually an aha moment about your own assumptions yes. Yeah, yes.
1: and and um, as you say uh, kim our brain does fill in it fills in the gaps so what we don't know we make up based on past experience or what the little knowledge that we have. Um, So it's not to beat ourselves up about it. Mm. It is to continue growing, learning, finding out, and Mm. taking the responsibility that the author of the book I mentioned throws our way of saying it's up to us to do that learning and to challenge those assumptions. Mm. Yeah. But, But, you know, at the end of the day, you don't know what you don't know.
0: Exactly. exactly, and and for me, there's often a, a, a power and a freedom in just owning that, and, mm-hmm. and kind of even with your, with when you're with other people, and you think, "Am I about to put my foot in it?" And you go, "What's the worst that can happen? Mm. What's the worst that can happen?" That's you know, it, I will either learn something or connect, or both, or yeah, you know, contribute to somebody, yeah. Yeah. I
1: always remember being on the other side of that, Kim, because I was I had my children relatively late in life. And much as I like to think I don't look my years, I did occasionally get asked if I was a <laughs> parent. How <laughs> rude. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. But and one woman who said it was clearly similar age to me. And when I said, oh, no, they're my, my children, she immediately said, oh, she said, I'm so sorry. Should I see that you're similar age to me? And she said, although I'm not. I could be a grandparent. My children are all in their 20s. So absolutely fine. Yeah. She and I became, you know, quite good friends after that because we'd just met and whatever. But I thought that's the way to do it. When you put your foot in, explain your thinking, because that's perfectly logical sense. You know, her youngest was 21. The eldest was 28. Of course, she could be a grand. Yeah. And yeah. we all make that assumption that people that look a similar age to us, mm. a similar stage of life. Yes. And it could have been that I had children in their 20s and these were my grandchildren, but not. So, yeah, um, so yeah I, I could take her mistake much more than somebody else who then hurried or scurried away and, and were embarrassed by it. Yeah. And although I was never that upset by it. It was like, right, what do I need to do here to...
0: <laughs> Stop looking <watching laughs> like grandma. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, you, I think um, it's that whole thing of not closing down the conversation because of it. I'm a big advocate of, you know, let's just say you've tried to make a connection. It hasn't quite gone to plan, but that doesn't mean the connection's not available. And it's in that, coming back to your podcast and what you do, it's in exchanging those stories, those many stories, that helps us to build connection and relationship and empathy and all of those great things in the world, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So tell me a little bit about, uh, so I was fascinated when you talked to me about the the podcast and I sort of said, why are you doing it? And and you talked about, I want this to be my legacy. Mm. You've talked about where it came from to get you to the podcast, but, you know, now you're in it. Tell us a little bit about that legacy mindedness that's driving you.
1: Well, I've I've talked about also the, the posts that I do and wanting to help people change their thinking just in tiny, tiny, small ways because often that's all we can do is one small step at a time. And I've talked about, you know, my passion for balance. And, and I, I, I one thing that I really, really hate is when I've got two people that I know that are at, at loggerheads with each other, and I've often found myself to be their both of their confidant. So I know what's going on for both of them, but I'm not in a position to say, and I think, oh, I just wish they could hear each other's story because it would make the world of difference Um, and I think that's that's what I want for the podcast that if for every episode just one listener does something a little bit different just takes a, a notch of a turn in their thinking about people that are other whichever way that is and then passes that on in some way. So the next time they're having a conversation, let's say about people that are transgender or whatever, they say, oh, well, actually, it's sometimes it's worth, it's just that whole, what's the word I'm trying to think, domino effect, um, that if, if one person for each episode makes a change in their thinking, that might then open their mind in other ways and help o- open other people's minds. So it's in that way that it's a legacy, that people listen to each other and understand each other's point of view more, it, it, the, the world will be a more peaceful place. Mm. Can't change the world. I can just do my little bit to change it in, in this small way. So that, that, that's the sense in which it, it's, it's my legacy or, you know, part of my legacy um, because stories help change the world as well. Um, and if I'm helping people share their stories indirectly I'm, I'm doing the same thing. Um, but this is more about that tolerance piece that just listen to their story. Don't put up the barriers because of the colour of their skin or their gender or whatever. Mm. Listen. Mm.
0: Um, you talked really early in our conversation about how other people's grand stories you thought intimidated you and you thought, well, who am I? And, you know, I haven't you know, overcome those odds or swum the English channel or, or any of, of those things. There's always a way to tell your story, and it's like building a muscle, I think. Mm-hmm. If we don't do it, then it's always scary, it's always awkward, it's mm-hmm. always terrifying, and we never feel that we tell the story we're meant to tell. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think your work as a story coach, which I want to come on to a bit, actually, is... Um, is really interesting in that um, because one of the things I do with building brand you is we talk about building the muscle that people don't pop out of the womb that are, you know, I'm a brand. It takes little steps. Like you said, Mm -hmm. what is it? The journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. Yeah. Um, You know, it is about building that storytelling muscle and getting Mm -hmm. comfortable with how we do that. For ourselves, mm. so t- tell me a little bit about. Um, I'm sort of going to segue a little bit into um, your work as a story coach, and 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 how that came about, and some of the some of the more specific things. Perhaps you you work with people on.
1: Yeah, I mean, how it came about. So I've, I've I've mentioned how I started in presentation skills training and kind of mm. developed, and it was a theme of um, my work that I always enjoyed, and where I felt I added the most value. Because on my one day course that I mentioned, you'd see people come in at half past nine in the morning, terrified and nervous at their speaker. And you could see how much they'd improved by four o'clock in the afternoon. So I knew I was adding value. Uh, I then sort of went around the houses, uh, as we often do as as solo entrepreneurs, finding your thing. I, I was sort of doing a bit of business coaching, which was all about confidence coaching, rather than facts and figures type of coaching. And then I was doing all sorts of different bits and pieces. Running the networking groups meant I was delivering training on networking. I'd also got into helping people again through my facilitation and so on. And because of my balance, helping people manage challenging conversations. And all of those sorts of things were coming under my umbrella of expertise, if you like, and things that I loved doing. And I knew I could offer value and, and was helpful with. Um, I also understand the importance of brands and of image as part of that brand. So when I um, stepped away from being a, a regional director with the Athena network, which is four years ago now, I looked at all those different things that I offered and put them under this lovely big umbrella of personal brand and that was kind of what I was doing and I would offer that I'd offer training and coaching and that was kind of going okay that was that was so called my niche but and all my work was aimed at women in the professions where they struggled to get leadership roles so law finance construction all of that and the, the whole thing was about helping them get the next promotion well of course um COVID hit two years ago. And guess what? Nobody was thinking about promotion. It was how do they keep the job and how do they manage it from the end of the dining room table kind of thing. So I had to kind of take a step back. But then a few months onto that, I was working with the wonderful Julie Crefield, who we both know. She was my business coach. And she said to me one day, she said, Rachel, I still don't know what it is that you do. And she said, I really want to be in a position where if somebody said they need this, that I can say, oh, you need to go and speak to Rachel. And she told me afterwards that actually it took her quite a lot to, to say that to me um, because she knew that I thought it was clear what I did. And it was, its clear in my mind. Um, and my first reaction was, well, how can she not know? I've known her for about four or five years and, and I've been working with her for over a year. I thought, well, I have to take it on the chin. If she doesn't know, she doesn't know. And and it's because I'm not clear enough about it. So I thought, well, okay, so maybe this is the moment uh, I need to choose one thing. And so it would always be the presentation skills would be my one thing. And then it was almost as if it was a bit of a soul whisper. And it was and the storytelling aspect of that, because although I'd never articulated it before, I knew that where I really had something to offer was in helping people that have got what I would call the big story um, to craft it. You know, I couldn't help myself. I'd listen to somebody speaking and I'd think, Oh, if only they'd started there, that would have been such a a much more engaging opening to their talk. Um, And actually we didn't really need that bit because it kind of took us down a rabbit hole a bit. And so when I was working with my clients doing that, that's where I knew that it was special But I'd also quite recently made this big discovery that I talked about, about the thousands of stories that we all sit on. And I knew there was many other people out there like me thinking their story wasn't of any value. So that's kind of what brought the story element on. And I committed to Julie that I would trial it for three months. I said, I don't need to change anything. I don't need to rewrite the copy on my website or my LinkedIn profile because it's all there, albeit under the thing. But of course, very, very quickly, it became clear that it was a really good um, angle for me to take. So the way I do my work, I, I, my customers tend to still be in two groups. There are those with the story that they know they want to share. Um, and so I work with them on crafting it. But then there are those that work usually work with me fairly short term, but they're in that position of, of not thinking they've, Got the story, and I'm helping them discover that actually, those is those ordinary everyday stories that are as much a part of their brand as the big stories. So I've got two or three fun things that I do. I know that the majority of people that engage in those are going to go off and just use the stories on social media. That's fine. That's not my expertise. I make that absolutely clear. But some of them will come back and and do work with me, and, and they're out there talking about me doing it. So that that's fine too. But but um, the work I really love to do is the helping craft the, the stories for the, for the presentations. And, um, and, and in particular, we sort of I work on that thing of, of having um, a, a, a keynote presentation that then can easily be adapted for other purposes. Mm. And so that's that's what I aim to do.
0: Brilliant. Yeah, I I think that um, someone once told me, have an elastic presentation you know make it elastic so because a lot of people now that I have a podcast Mm -hmm. (laughs) ask my (laughs) advice but one of the things um, I say to people is that you should get your personal story down to about five or seven minutes for the start Mm -hmm. of a podcast that's not to say you don't have a longer story Mm -hmm. but on a podcast because it's usually audio hearing the same voice for a long period of time can be quite difficult can you yeah. know be quite difficult to keep paying attention to. Absolutely. So think about the five to seven minute story to introduce yourself. And then podcast host should pull stuff out of that or lead that on to to something else.
1: And and the very first client I worked with on on the story coaching, um when she's when we started working together. So English isn't her first language. Her name is Hugh Tway. She's um a um, Myanmar National, and she runs this amazing um, tea plantation in uh, Myanmar, which is her legacy um, for she lives in London as a successful accountant, but she had signed up to give a 45 minute presentation to the London Climate Summit, and we had 10 days to put that presentation together and. Um, and we did it. She was very reluctant to include her story in it, but I said, You have to because it is it's how, it's why you're doing what you're doing. And that's the bit that engages. But this was the London Climate Summit. So we had to talk about sustainability. On the back of that talk, she got invited to give another um, presentation at a similar sort of thing. But A, it was going to be 30 minutes short, uh, thir- 15 minutes shorter. So it's going to be 30 minutes, not 45 but they wanted her to focus on decent work, which is one of the United Nations things that they look for. So we just had to obviously take some of it out to make it shorter, but also instead of focusing on the sustainability aspect of the project, look at the employee employee conditions, um, which we kind of skated over in the first. So it's that I always have this um, image of your story passing along a conveyor belt, and you've got one of those spotlights on an elastic cord, and you're going to pull it down on different bits depending on on what the the message is that you're conveying and um, whatever.
0: And the audience that that you have a lot of interest in um, building brand new comes from people who are either in corporate and want to come to entrepreneur, are new entrepreneurs or mm-hmm. relatively new entrepreneurs and. That's a different lens of the story. They're attracted to me because I've done it. But there are other audiences that I work with. I work in corporates um, using the same material but repurposing it to to take certain things forward that are really relevant for the people that are in front of me and and pulling Mm -hmm. other things out that are perhaps not not so important for them um, at the time.
1: Absolutely. I mean, you know, I always say to people, you, you imagine when you're telling your story, you might be telling it, To a room full of sixth form students or you might be telling it to a room full of IT professionals. You're going to tell them a different aspect of the same story. Um, Your story
0: about this uh, Myanmar uh, lady who took her story um, in one direction and then sort of repurposed it for another and you helped her craft what mm. that story was going to be. It wasn't just mm. her story, it was her story and the context of what had yes. been asked of her exactly. it is it's brilliant. And I think there's something that we all need to think about is sort of having, it's a bit like having arrows in the quiver, you know, right. just having, it might be, I think about five or six, there might be some you use all the time. You know, I've mm. been asked to speak to IT people, how would I repurpose mm. that? How would I, you know, speak to um, school Children about that, and they become sort of quivers, uh, uh, yes. arrows in your quiver for that. So I think that's also the power of of um, also working with with someone like you who can help to craft some of those key stories, and then and then show people how to repurpose them in different yes.
1: ways. Yes, and also there are people that are ready to share aspects of their story, and this would be perhaps you know the the harrowing life adversities kind of stories. Um, but actually they perhaps don't want to implicate somebody in it or there's bits of it that they still can't quite get through without becoming more emotional than they would want to be while they're speaking. Mm. And I can help them with all of that. Mm. But if, you, if you're if you stuck in that worry about yeah. it, that, you often can't just see that actually it's just something simple that mm. make the difference for you there.
0: Yeah.
1: Find yeah. something that you can still therefore... Because the the story is so often not the thing. The the thing is the learning and the outcome of the story. Mm. Um, So you don't always need the full detail of the story itself. uh, If it's too challenging or inappropriate or or whatever. So Mm. you're not going to tell somebody on the whole, you're not going to tell somebody of how you came through a, 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 a period of adversity just for the sake of it. You're going to tell them because this is what you did to get you through it. And yeah. that bit that they want to learn, the story helps engage them and helps them realize that you will understand them because you felt this, this and this, which is what they feel, albeit not in the same story. Um, you know, let's say you've come through a, a, a serious round of cancer treatment and here you are now. They don't need to have had cancer, but they needed to have felt hopeless um frightened and all of those things you yeah. know that you have experienced that and this is how you've come through those feelings that you will understand them and that you can help them
0: so let let's think about what's coming up for you i know that uh when this podcast goes live there is a, a very fun i believe um event that will be happening in um, a week 10 days time or something so, yes, so tell really. us a bit about how people can sort of get involved in finding out more about
1: storytelling And, and yeah well this out. is um the story hunt extravaganza yeah it's the third time i've run it and it's a fun event it really is uh it's all about just finding those ordinary everyday stories and having fun with them um, I'm running the next round on Friday the 22nd of April and basically what happens it runs throughout the day but it's not an all day event so we start off with a call um, 9 10 o'clock ish and we come on for three or four calls throughout the day, um, everybody who signs up gets sent a PDF of the story prompt guide um, and they get some ideas for these stories. And the idea is that they go away in between these calls, r- make some notes of stories that that guide is, is bringing up for them and come back onto the calls. We go into breakout rooms and they share those stories. People have already said, yes, they want to come again. that have been on both the other story hunt extravaganzas I've done, um, because who doesn't need new stories to use in their Hosts and so on, um, but occasionally on, on the last one I ran, somebody actually realized the value of their bigger story, so that was really interesting too, because sometimes it 's that thing of when you share your story and other people go, "Oh my goodness that 's amazing that you suddenly start to think actually maybe it 's not so ordinary and boring as I thought, yeah, so that happens too, so yes, so that 's coming up on the twenty second of april it 's a low cost event, it is a lot of fun. Um, and the story prompt guide is, is worth, you know, a third of the price of the ticket, if not half. So Yes,
0: yeah. Well, um, we will make sure, because we're recording this a little bit ahead of time, we will put all of those details in the show notes. And um, what else have you got coming up, uh, Rachel, apart well, from the extravaganza, the Story Hunt extravaganza?
1: Well, I've got a couple of um, new products. So I've produced a deck of cards, story prompt cards, um and also a story journal now you can use them together or you can use them separately the idea is because of this thing of thinking oh I can't think of a story and I know I need one that I've come up with about a hundred different prompts now not everybody will have a story for every single prompt um but it's that thing of sitting in front of the blank desk the blank screen rather, thinking, oh, I can't think of a story, just pull a card and it'll give you a prompt. It might say, think of a time where you were caught in a flood or whatever. And even though you were never caught in a flood, you might have been caught in a high tide or something. It will trigger the thought of a story for you. The story journal has similar headings. They don't completely align because of the way the two things are designed, but pretty much all the the same prompts are in both products so some people prefer to write some people just like the idea of the card some some people like the idea of both yes
0: exactly and I think it it, again it helps us build the muscle yes and I think that 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 story those story prompts are a fantastic idea I think for people to to step forward into Mm. their stories and it might start out a really tiny tiny story Mm. Um, and then you kind of flesh out the detail and go now that's quite funny I would yes, tell that at exactly. a dinner party. I yes. would tell that, you know, at the yes. park.
1: Yeah. Yes. And it's funny you say what you've just said, Kim, because the irony of me always thinking I didn't have a story was that I was already doing those uh, weekly tips in my emails based on exactly the sort of thing that you're talking about. It, was some, it would be something that I just observed on my train journey or something that I'd thought about while I was out walking the dog. But I'd never thought of them as stories. I thought of them as reflections, which of mm. course were, but they were also stories. So I, I have always been storytelling. You've always been a storyteller. Yes, I
0: have. I can tell. I can tell. <laughs> 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 so we've been, we've been talking uh, for about an hour. Wow. Cool. Yeah, I know. Time flies when you're having fun. So we've been talking about all sorts of different topics. Uh, and what I like to ask our guests is what, uh, what would be a nugget or a piece of advice that you could leave with building brand new listeners today that uh, they could take away and, and implement or put into action or put in place?
1: I think, there's, can I give them two
0: bits? Oh, all right, then. <laughs> all right, then. Go, Rachel.
1: <laughs> because in terms of what this podcast is all about, which is Brand You, that your stories do start to become part of your brand. And it's not that people will remember the stories themselves, but that when you tell a story, it, it gives people some insight into your humour, your values, the way you think the things you like doing in your spare time. So it helps build your picture. So there's that aspect. And so that's why it's really, really important. You know, do you like fishing or do you like hang gliding? That tells them a little bit about you as a person. But the thing I always like to leave people with regarding their stories and however ordinary or everyday it may be, that when you share the story with the lesson that goes behind it, you will inspire someone somewhere to make a small change in their life. So whether it's somebody that's thinking, well, if she can do that, I can do that. Or whether it is that thing of thinking differently about something and being kinder to somebody who they perhaps wouldn't have been kind to before, you will make a difference by sharing your story. Um, So, you know, just at least get out there and start sharing it. That's, That's what I would like to leave people with.
0: Brilliant. And just to go back to what Rachel said earlier in the conversation, uh, she is looking for uh, guests for the Other Stories podcast. So we will put a link to for you to be able to apply to be a guest on the Other Stories podcast. We'll also put a link to the podcast so you can have a listen and then see if you think you'd be a good fit and if your story is something you'd like to share on the podcast and you can get in touch with rachel that way What are the other ways people can can get in touch with you rachel we've talked about the story hunt yes. extravaganza we'll put the link to that but you know, <laughs> if they want to speak to you about coaching or crafting a presentation they've got coming up anything how do they get in touch with you
1: um, i'm on linkedin that's probably my that's definitely my preferred um social media channel and my website rachelmander.com you can contact me through that
0: Brilliant. And we will put all of the links in the show notes so that they are all there and people don't have to furiously remember or scribble anything. (laughs)
1: Fabulous. Thank you, Kim. Thank you for today. It's been really enjoyable.
0: Oh, it's been my pleasure. And thank you for for coming on for your for your um, inspiration. I think. It's been um, a lovely conversation. I think I've learned loads about you that I didn't know. So it's taken our connection, I think, to a whole new level. Um, but I, I just really hope this, you know, this year's International Women's Day theme was Break the Bias. And we are, listeners, we are actually recording this the day after International Women's Day. And one of the things that really occurs to me is that breaking the bias will happen when we are more open and when we share stories and really listen to each other so i kind of think even though this is going live later this has been a perfect day to um have a conversation about your story and and your legacy rachel thank you thank you for listening to the building brand new podcast i'm kim hamer and if you've enjoyed this episode please leave me a five-star review on apple podcast and connect with me on linkedin facebook instagram or twitter for all the latest news and special offers, hot tips and exclusive content, you can also become a member of the Building Brand You Facebook group. Just type Building Brand You into the Facebook search box and request to join. And if you want to unlock your reputation, your results and your impact right away, our new program, The Vice Squad, is now live. You'll find the link to find out more and to register your place in the show notes. I help people to accelerate their success by unlocking their greatest asset. If you'd like to find out more, please book in for a free 20-minute coaching call at calendly.com forward slash Kim Hamer forward slash BBY chat. Accelerate your results by unlocking your greatest asset, you.